Welcome to Tweaking Geek number 36. Coming to you from deep within the least interesting Google wave ever. <laughs> so would... we talked about using Google wave for collaboration and none of us liked it enough. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to have much of a, uh, I don't know, a uh, real compelling reason that it would be any better than It had lots I of am. potential energy, but no kinetic energy. Excellent. Wow, nerd. Which is uh, okay, we, right, Craig? It's what? <laughs> Which is okay, right? right? That, that is okay. All right. But we still love Google because we're using Google Docs. And hi, I'm your host, Pat. Beat you to it. I'm like, call me Quick Draw. Hi, I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your host, Craig. Last, last one to call host is a run egg. I'm your host, Craig. <laughs> An egg. Luckily, my name rhymes with egg, so uh, it's kind of appropriate, I suppose. Schmeg? No. <laughs> Did you have boiled Craig's for Thanksgiving, Pat? <laughs> Devil Craig's? Cra- Craig Benedict? <laughs> oh boy we we've we've taken a solemn vow to be nicer to craig for this episode though so i can't join in we have have. oh good to know because i think craig found our story for this episode anyway right yes Yes. all right let's be nice to the person who did all the work to find a story because we're big lazy slackers amen craig do you want to introduce us Hi, I'm your host, Craig. This is Mike and Pat. <laughs> no, I, I meant the story. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, I would love to. Um, so I read this article, and I, I don't. it wasn't really an article. It was more of this stream of consciousness from some guy, but it, it was kind of cool. So it's about whether or not you're a, or whether you are a blue-collar developer or a white-collar developer. Now, I thought this was kind of appropriate because all of us, in some way, shape, or form, are a software developer, and the whole. And I think we might cover the spectrum here. So they, this guy talks about being a white collar developer as basically someone who is into the, I don't know, dotting the t's and crossing the i's. You know, formal education in computer science, uh, really kind of taken the the theoretical road to everything and a blue collar developer being someone who kind of, you know, self-taught, you know, pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. You know, I know what I need. I know enough to get the problem solved. And just because it may not be the most elegant way or the perfect way, it's, uh, you know, it's enough. And it really, it's kind of this, how the white collar developers might kind of look down on the blue collar developers and the blue collar developers might think that the white collar developers are kind of snobs. And it it, it was kind of uh, a fascinating thing. And it's the article starts out with the line, where did you go to college? Meaning, you know, that the only way to be a successful developer in this person's opinion is like, well, you had to go to college for it. So, and I think, I mean, in my experience now in software, uh, I'd say there's a correlation between education and ability, but not a strong one, right? Um, probably the best or one of the best architects I've ever known has absolutely no formal education and just taught himself everything he needed to know. Um, and I go to him with questions on design patterns, even though I have a degree. So I, I don't think it's clear cut. I mean, this definitely doesn't mean if you didn't get a college degree, you are a terrible programmer. It's just the article kind of... It's, implied that one person in the group thought that and no one else seemed to agree. 
Right. And I don't really have much to contribute to this, but here's my little bit. Um, I'm kind of self-taught, but I'm also going to college. And one of the reasons I went to college is I kind of wanted to take my knowledge further and hopefully fill in some holes that may have existed from me being self-taught. And I have to say, I've been fairly disappointed so far in, in my programming classes and that they're, they seem very basic and rudimentary uh, compared to what I thought that they, they would be. I haven't really learned anything um, you know, life-changing in the programming world as a result of taking these classes. So I, I think there's something to be said about being self-taught in that it's not necessarily that bad of a thing. I would say I I typically learn more in a year of programming, you know, for money than I learned about the applied science of programming from college. See, I had a kind of a weird situation where, you know, I worked for a while and was going to school for programming while I was working. So I think that my, my take on the programming thing is I learned the theory, but I had kind of this, you know, we have to get the job done thing. So I, I would say that, you know, I'm not like, oh, I'm this perfect mix of the two. But I, you're, I, you're, you're a powder blue collar. You're uh, a baby blue collar. Yeah, well, because there's a blue collar in that, you know, I, it's really like let's we need to get the job done. But I also do like to use some of the stuff I learned in school, which I have to say, and maybe this is maybe medical school might be a a uh, exception to this but computer science seems to be like one of the only fields where you actually use in your career what you learned in college because i had an engineering degree and uh let me see when i went to work i used basically nothing from college so i i think you use some of it you don't touch a lot of computer science on an everyday basis most of the time right it's something that you fall back on true occasionally for harder problems more than daily yeah, that's a good point. And I think, I don't know, if you, from what I've seen, it's just good workers are good workers, and regardless of the field, and not everyone's a good worker, not everyone smart is a great worker in the end. Yeah. Not, not everyone educated necessarily actually produces better live code. Let me ask you guys this. Um, when you guys started you know, doing programming for money, uh, were you able to jump right in and start writing full-fledged programs on your own, or did you have to kind of did you have like a mentorship kind of thing going on where you worked? I'm trying to remember that far back. Well, forever. When I started, I, I was basically the first programmer that my company hired. They had like a whole networking side, and they had a web designer, but they had no programmers. So I was the first one. So it was kind of trial by fire for me you know i i had about a month or, or like a couple of months of just like kind of like kind of learning and not being productive then they're like all right we need to start producing here so it, of course it, of, at so that you point were, oh sorry i was just gonna say so you were like going on the web and looking for solutions to yeah yeah okay what were you gonna say pat i was gonna say at that point you also already had you know some background as a as a working engineer so that the yes pro- exactly. the problem solving side of things you already had some pretty good habits established yeah so i guess my point in that was even if you do go get a full-fledged degree it's not something that's going to enable enable you to go right into work and and just plug right in and start solving problems and writing programs you'd be surprised how many people think it does though <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, I know. I definitely, I definitely started on small, small tasks, small projects. Right. And it's, it's a lot like any other career, right? You'll do best when you start at a fairly small scope, get to really refine your skills and slowly get entrusted with more authority. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pat, let me ask you this because I know that you worked in like a, a lab where they worked on a product uh, when you were in college, did you find that that really kind of gave you a a cut above the rest when you came into? The, I think it did because you know? I'd seen firsthand what happens to a very large project. Um, that and I, this is I definitely don't blame anyone I worked with. We we completely mismanaged it um, because this giant engineering effort was being led by a bunch of undergrads with no experience. Um, so I've seen just how messy things can get. And has that helped you to prevent things from getting worse? Uh, I think I think so. I mean, everyone has to make the mistakes. It's the only way you learn um, when it comes to managing a project and completing a project. Well, speaking of project management and all that stuff, uh, so Pat, I'm pretty sure you've taken a software uh, engineering class, and I know I have. Mike, have you ever taken a just a straight software engineering class? Do you mean project management kind of well, organization or? I I don't know maybe I, I'm just thinking because I've had I've had pro- project management I haven't had any class called software engineering because well because I I had one call, and I, Pat you had one called software engineering didn't you just I the, did yeah it's, it's where we went over stuff like software development life cycles and did you okay, find yeah I've had that did yeah. you guys find that that was basically completely impractical and like boring so the worst part I, like, of my class idealistic was, yeah. yeah yeah our ongoing project the whole semester was basically doing all the paperwork and writing specs and requirements and you know requirements gathering and analysis and all that of a project we never implemented. So we have no idea if we did it right. Like, like <laughs> we, actually, now from my viewpoint, you know, ten years later, I'd say I know we got it wrong, horribly wrong. And if only we'd been given the opportunity to implement the project and find out how wrong. But you got an A on it, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to learn Microsoft Project, right? Um, we didn't use Project. We we did look at Gantt charts, but that's all. Oh, we had to use Microsoft Project, and it was, uh, I mean, so I, I love Gantt spent- charts, but I've never seen a project go more than, like, two weeks without the Gantt chart becoming completely horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Gantt charts are good for if you're, like, uh, building a bridge. Or, but I think that... Yeah. Or, or a big construction long-term project, but for little tiny software projects, you know, or not, maybe or not little tiny. Yeah, yeah, like things move around so much that they're basically impossible. And especially if when, you have... <laughs> when you're building a bridge, you don't have to worry about getting the uh, the stanchions, you know, in place and, and the pylons and then having them be like, oh, uh, they've upgraded the girders so that they require stanchion 2.0. Um, so we're going to have to rip those out and put new ones in. Whereas when you're in a software project, that kind of stuff can happen to you. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think is kind of a, an issue with that is when you're building a bridge or doing any sort of real life thing, there's you're actually producing something concrete. And when it's like, all right, we need to, you know, construct this thing. At, you're going to talk about scope creep, aren't you? Well, no, it's more of like scope. Yeah. So I guess scope change. It's no one's going to say after you've got the bridge built what you said, oh, let's go back and let's just, you know, move it two feet to the right. It's like things got to be right the first time. But with software, because it's kind of virtual, you 
can you can move things two feet to the right and all it does is like annoy people and move your deadlines around but it doesn't like cost like are you, you know what i mean it doesn't like well, take yeah 50 well, tons of steel i hadn't even thought of that you know once they start to see some results they're like oh yeah that's great but can we just change this but what i was talking about is they see it and they're like oh that's great hey you know what else would be good why don't you throw this in as well and you know you get that whole problem where you're like yeah you know we can do that but your deadline is going to have to get pushed out and it's going to cost you more and yeah you don't have people going you know i'd like another on-ramp to the bridge right here in the middle you know halfway through the bridges yeah exactly so So. guys i did i just linked a great article if if you know what we're talking about or want to see what we're talking about um it's called if architects had to work like web designers and i mean just the first paragraph tells all right please design and build me a house i am not quite sure of what i need so you should use your discretion my house should have somewhere between two and 45 bedrooms (laughs) (laughs) just make sure the plans are such that bedrooms can be easily added or deleted when you bring the blueprints to me i will make the final decision of what i want also bring me the cost breakdown for each configuration so that i can arbitrarily pick one and it goes on like this for like two or three screens it's really funny that is awesome yeah. yeah, please prepare a complete set of blueprints. It is not necessary at this time to do it with a real design, since it will be used only for construction bids. Be advised, however, that you will be held accountable for any increase of construction costs <laughs> as a result of later design changes. That is so true. Can you give us an estimate? And then, okay, this is a budgetary estimate. Then later on, they're like, but you said it was only going to cost this much. It's like, what part of the word estimate did you not understand? Well, and that's the other thing. You've got to be careful when providing estimates because you want it to be low enough that you have a chance to actually get it. But at the same time, you want it to be high enough so you don't get screwed when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, so. there are volumes and volumes and volumes you could read about this uh, online. I mean, it's est- estimation is incredibly difficult. On top of that, projects have a tendency to go poorly and overrun est- even the best estimates. Um, and then how do you how do you deal with customers, especially if you're in more of a contract situation than, you know, you're a developer for a fixed uh, employer? Nothing against my wife, but I find this particularly humorous at the end. P.S. My wife has just told me that she disagrees with many of the instructions I've given you in this letter. As architect, it is your responsibility to resolve these differences. I have tried in the past and have been unable to accomplish this. If you can't handle this responsibility, I will have to find another architect. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, software often runs into the, the I, I always call it the 12-year-old nephew problem because everyone has a 12-year-old nephew who can oh. put their website together in just a couple of days. That right. is, That's a very good name for that because everyone's like, I don't want to understand, why does, Why are you quoting me that it's going to take $1,000 to do this? That should be easy. That, that's another one. <laughs> that, that, that should be easy. Okay, <laughs> I agree it should be, but it's not. Yeah, the correct response to that is, okay, then go do it. <laughs> yeah. So, you do it yourself for less than twice what I'm quoting you. Yeah, so the uh, we, we've strayed a bit from the original conversation. Do you think the blue-collar, white-collar has any effect on this stuff at all? I don't, Personally, I don't think it does. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think when it comes to project management, uh, it, it's sometimes – all right, uh, my, the white-collar side of me says, you know – when we're working on a project, sometimes it's very easy to take, you know, uh, paths that make things kind of more correct than they need to be. Well, I need, let me just add this one more feature. Oh, you know, this is going to be, you know, great. If we just do this one little thing, it's going to make things so much easier. And then like kind of this internal scope creep, because even though you might have a scope, you say, okay, let's do all this stuff. The 
kind of perfectionist part of me says, I want to get it right. I want to use all the right object-oriented constructs, blah, blah, blah. But the blue-collar part says, you know what? I just need to hit the finish line. We can go back and change it later. And I actually think you've hit on one of the things that I encounter a lot with uh, – it seems to be more often with white-collar programmers where they get what I call code religion. Right? Mm-hmm. There, is one, there is a right way to do this or a right process or a right method when you know, in reality the right way to do it is the way that works and meets everyone's needs. I, I actually work with a, a client who has a code religion, and sometimes I'll write a piece of code – and she'll go back and rewrite it, which she's, you know, their company has paid me to write this code, right? And then she'll go and take time from her job to rewrite it because it wasn't the way she would have done it. <laughs> and so basically they've lost her time and my time, and I don't care. I mean, then she'll be like, well, you need to do it this other way. I'm like, okay. Well, if it weren't for your code, she never would have been inspired to write it in the first place so you you were still a necessary link in that chain uh no she makes it perfectly clear that i'm a uh, a i am a vestigial part of the organization <laughs> but but anyway but that's that's like ultra white collar where it's basically you know my way or the highway yeah um i mean and this goes all the way down to methodologies right i mean there are people i've spoken to who are like if you're not doing it extreme programming or you're not pair programming or if you're not agile and doing scrums every day and like these are they're all buzzwords whatever method works for your project is the right one to pick yeah you know that's it's it's a very interesting thing I, i find that when i'm in a with a bunch of other programmers if you know at a conference or whatever i feel very intimidated because there is very a lot of buzzwords flying around and i'm like oh my god i'm doing it all wrong and 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 i'm like i can't can't, i'm like embarrassed to talk to anybody because they'll be like are you doing you know insert whatever here and i'm like oh my god i'm not you know and i'm like i feel like i've just like you know shot the pope or something so on well first of all that's because you tend to shoot the pope more often than it's necessary. <laughs> or, or, make, or make him your avatar. <laughs> At the end of the day, your clients or your customers or whoever it is, um, they don't care how many uh, stickies you moved around on your scrum board, right? They, they want software that works and does what they need and came in as close to budget and whether that's time or money as possible. So... Let me try and draw an analogy, and this may alienate even more of our listeners. Like, so if you're if you're doing uh, a photo editing manipulation, and say you're going to put object A into object B's photograph, um, and so you, you put that in there, and you could do it one of two ways: you could make a layer mask where you erase the background of object A, just leaving leaving it in the new photograph. But all that information is still intact so that if you wanted to go back and change it later, you could. You could put the background back in or, or some of it or what have you. Whereas method B might be to just select object A and copy it over, in which case you can't go back and put that other information back in later. Technically, you could say that the correct way to do it is, is the first way. But to the end, to the customer, as long as the ball makes it into the, the other picture, they're going to be happy either way. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point. It's the whole. I like the whole uh, phrase: something being correct versus right. So you know, maybe the first way is the correct way to do it, but the right way to do it is the one that 
gets it done on time and under budget. Right. Yeah. So. Which, which isn't saying that doing it correctly is always wrong. There are certainly a lot of times when you have to take the pain of doing it correctly, but not always, right? Right. And that's there, what there's I was no. There's no single method that always works for everyone. Right, and sometimes the correct way is the right way, and that's you know just the kind of thing. But sometimes you have you know sometimes you have to if there is a real big d- disparity between which is which, then you have to make a decision. And sometimes you just have to say at, at that point attach a dollar figure to it and have your management make a you know this is the correct right. way to do it, but it costs fifty percent more. What do, what do right. you want to do? So, so actually, I- I'm going to bring this back into the code world. So it, it's the correct thing to do is to comment the crap out of your code so that when you have to go back later and do anything with it, you can see exactly what's going on. Whereas oh, re- wait, wait. I'm going to start a religious war now. Well-written code shouldn't need very many comments. Okay. So, well, so that's whatever. what my caller people do. Anyway, I was just starting a fight. Keep going. Um, Play I'm gonna, more. I'm going to back right out of that fight. But my point being is that um, you know it takes a lot of time to write a lot of comments. So you can get it done a lot faster without writing them. And I think it's up to the programmer to say, is this something that I'm going to have to come back into later and modify? Or is this something that once I'm done with it, I'm done with it forever? Because then it should be an easy decision to make. I'm going to go with less comments. Oh, the cynic in me says you're always going to come back. I was just thinking that, too. <laughs> no matter how, like, you yeah, know. I didn't say no comments. <laughs> well, 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 no, but you're always. I, I have to. One thing I have to say about that is, uh, here's my religious war. If if I ever find a comment, or if I find a function in a uh, piece of code that comes by me that doesn't have a comment on it, I, I say someone to it because I think you know what what does this do or why does it exist? I think there's that always needs to be there. But but it, but you know like. If but there are people who comment every single line of code, you know x equals y plus seven. And, you know, the comment is, this adds X to, or, you know, to Y and adds seven or whatever. And you find a lot of comments like that, actually, you know, th- you know, this, this opens the file when the next thing is, you know, file.open. It's like, well, we don't need to have that. Uh, so Pat's right. You, well-written code does not need a lot of comments, but I think you should have like, you know, sometimes it's good to have comments that say, you know, how do I get there? But you're right. But, okay. As the most blue-collar guy in the group, um, and this is, we're getting off topic, but uh, basically when I comment my stuff, the, the one thing that I always throw in is when I'm closing a function or like if I'm doing HTML and I, I close a, a division, uh, I comment saying, you know, what I'm closing so that I don't get confused later on as to what is this curly brace closing again? Um, and it, it, with the right, end, so, the, like so, so that means your, your code blocks are too long. Ah, yes, I was going to say oh. that. Pat. I always say that if if your function doesn't fit on a uh, on one screen, then you need to decompose it. Uh, okay. But again, this is so this is exactly what white collar programmers get into for pro programming zealotry that drives me up the wall, and that you also participate in. Well, yeah, it's still fun. Uh, it's totally fun. It's <laughs> there's nothing better feeling than like some like semantically correct code that you know inherits all the right base classes, implements all the right interfaces, and you know and does all this other like kind of cool stuff that makes it like just watertight. Okay, so the funny thing is, I'm like six six classes away from having my four year degree, right? And I have not learned anything yet, and it's not looking good for the near future uh, as to why I should keep my functions less than one screen in length. Um, so the whole white collar versus blue collar thing, you know, brings brings me back to the question: is if I were to 
finish this degree and go on the job, what is it about my degree that would make me know to keep to keep things short like that? Why experience, of course. Ah. So, so there, I, I there definitely is. will say that once you get any amount of practical experience under your belt, um, whether or not you have a degree is almost meaningless. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. So my, the whole reason I'm getting the degree is it seems to me that the slip of paper is infinitely helpful in getting you that job and said practical experience. Yeah, something uh, like kind of a, an unintended side effect. Probably the most valuable or value that you'll get about having a degree like yours or mine, Mike, is that <laughs> no, is that we got them while we were working and uh, potential employers tend to like the like, you know, oh, you got a degree while you're working. That's great. You know, but it's like, oh, you got a degree right after high school. OK, so you have a college degree like everybody else. People tend so to it shows that you have like dedication and the ability to work overtime. And I don't so, mean overtime at work, but I mean, like work lots of hours to accomplish something. Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell you that where I work, um, I don't even know if we pay much attention to whether you have a degree or not. Um, at least one of the executives of the company has no degree at all. So. Really? Uh, yeah, so it's I I don't think it has as many long term implications as some people would think. Um, it totally depends on the kind of company you work for, but it definitely opens that first door a little easier. Yeah, it's a degree gets you your first job. Your first job gets you your second job. That your sort of thing. First job gets you a lifetime <laughs> of misery. <laughs> wow, I'm telling on you. Your employer needs to know this. You disloyal communist. Son of a bitch! What are you talking? Which one of us are you talking to? Yes. <laughs> hmm. At least he didn't call us an orphan. Well, some things are just not nice. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you: guys, Are any final thoughts on the blue collar, white collar thing, or just any of this in general? I think I've said enough, and I think I've heard enough, <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard enough from both of you. So, and whatever you, whatever comes out of your guys' mouth is definitely lame, which leads us into lamest news of the week. God, are we doing lame news again? We haven't done it the first time. Yeah, yeah. We're doing lame news. Come on, we always do lame news. Unless you have an idea for, for another uh, segment. I came up with lameness news of the week. You can come up and, with something. And Pat, you have two to choose from. What more do you want? I know. I'm, I'm just pretending to be annoyed for, like, irony of situation. All right, who's going first? I don't want to go first. I always have to go first. I'll, I'll go first. Well, it's because you usually have, like, four or five articles. <laughs> I only have one. You have two. <laughs> you have two to choose from. Oh, I do, don't I? Uh, my, my first one's boring. I'm gonna, I know which one I'm going to do. Okay. All right, so my lame news is uh, the, the title of this article is Creepy Insurance Company Pulls Coverage Due to Facebook Picks. And upon first reading of that, you might think, oh, you know, somebody, you know, is out of work for whatever reason. And in reality, they were out partying and having a, having a good time and posting everything on Facebook. And the insurance company found out about it and pulled their coverage. Well, it's not quite exactly how it went. This, uh, this particular lady from Canada... She uh, she was out of work on medical leave of absence for severe depression. And when the insurance company found that she posted pictures on her Facebook page from her birthday party, they pulled her coverage. And 
you know, she was like, look, the, the doctor said that I should go do things like that in order to try and improve my mood. And it, there's no reason that you should pull my coverage for that. But wasn't like that Chippendales? What? She, she I believe uh, I read a comment that said she was, uh, she was at like a strip club and stuff. I did not read that. Yeah. But, I mean, irregardless, that's not a word. Regardless, <laughs> the the point that they were trying to make with this article is, should an insurance company be able to stop your your benefits based on, you know, a couple of pictures posted to a social media website without going through any kind of arbitration? Right. Um, and by the way, I'm going to point out that I can't actually back that up because I can't find my source, so don't take what I just said as... Um, gospel yeah the the one i'll actually read it it says the company apparently decided that people diagnosed with depression are incapable of having fun for even short periods of time because (laughs) manulife pulled her benefits with no notice when she called to inquire about the checks manulife said she appeared to be available to work thanks to facebook so they saw some pictures of her at her birthday party and decided oh she's available to work and pulled her coverage never notified her or anything yeah that's not cool so, it, you know, whether or not you think they should be able to stop her coverage based on their suspicions, they should have at the very least called her up and said, hey, looks like you're all set to go back to work. We're stopping your checks. I, I agree with you, Mike, uh, because there's there's a, you know, whatever. There, there's I'm sure there's more in all, all of these things. There's always probably more complex circumstances that they're telling us because this is obviously the first shock value. So maybe who knows what. But however, yeah, I mean, you know, we're stopping your checks. That, that's all they had to say, you know, like yeah. we are stopping your four words is all they had to say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so at least <laughs> not catch her off guard. Yeah, right. I'll agree with that for sure. And at least at that point, she's not already like behind on her on receiving payments when she has to go through the I'm sure there's an uh, appeals process uh, as far as getting that overturned. So she's already not receiving payments when she starts the appeal process. Whereas if they at least warn her, Hey, we're stopping your payments. She can, you know, get that going right away. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I reserve a little bit of judgment just because I suspect there's more, um, to the story, but it's definitely on the shady side for sure. Yeah. In, on the insurance company's defense, you know, their job is to make sure that, people aren't committing insurance fraud, you know, and it may have looked on the surface that she was, and hopefully there is an appeals process and whatever. But at the very least, they should have pulled her in and said, hey, explain. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Even if if they didn't find her explanation satisfactory. I I bet there was some fine print somewhere that said that they didn't have to do that. Just that's my guess, because I bet they're probably legal and not good, but legal, I bet. Oh, who knows? And Pat, let's be honest. Say Craig had depression. Is this is this the episode where we can't make fun of Craig? You can this make. Is. All right, make fun of me for this. No, exam. no, no. I. That's all okay. right. No, no. Never mind. We'll save it. For Take the, the high time. road, Mike. Uh oh. All right. We'll make fun of him next week. Uh oh. <laughs> I bet. I better right, ask. Ask me about that after the podcast. <laughs> all right. So I'll go next. Craig, you can go last. Oh, thanks. Um. So I found a story. <laughs> but, but that's not making fun of you. <laughs> no. That's... Right. I don't know. I feel I feel expecting you best for last. I don't know if, if you're t- too much nicer. I might think you're making fun of me. <laughs> so I found a story where a 41 year old DJ 
um, who was adopted as a child, finally tracked down his lineage. It turns out his father was Charles Manson. <laughs> Oops. That's just got to really ruin your day. His quote is awesome. He's like, it's like finding out Hitler is your father. Or sorry, yeah. it's like finding out your father is Hitler. Right. Yeah, so he's none too happy, but he's trying to make his peace. Right? He's like, I don't want to hate my father. Um, but I don't want to love him either. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, that just, that really has to suck. So apparently Manson raped a girl at a party and she had a son and gave him up for adoption and he found out. Oh, well, at least his conception fits with everything else. Right. It's not like, oh, you know, Manson had a, had a loving relationship with this woman before he decided to go kill people. (laughs) And it, it could be worse, right? He could have been an orphan. Indeed. Well, at least he's not an orphan anymore. That's true. Uh, that's a good point. How lucky for him. Although, are you an orphan if you don't know who your parents are? No. no, it's only if they're dead. So he never was an orphan. Do you think he could capitalize that on the whole like Charles Manson thing at all? Because uh, well, you know, if if he wants to get on Oprah, he better do it soon. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah, Oprah, my dad's Charles Manson. <laughs> All right, you got five minutes. Get on. All right, here. look, kid, I'm booked. Uh, I'll fit you in right on the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's very disturbing news for that guy. Yeah, maybe it's not lame. Maybe it's creepy. It's time for the creepiest news of the week. Okay, All right, Craig, what's your lame? All news? right, my lame news. All right, so the headline reads: "Police arrest exec for not using Twitter." So. The, a long story short, there was a uh, like a, a showing or a, a visit by this Canadian teen superstar Justin Bieber, which is totally a Canadian name, uh, at a mall in uh, Garden City, New York. And so, what happened is that the all the teenage girls were in there and uh, wanting to see him, and it was like really kind of getting uh, out of hand. So the police asked. To this uh, studio exec to post to I guess probably Justin's Twitter file or Twitter thing for the crowd to kind of like calm down and step away and uh, he didn't comply so they arrested him for endangering all of these uh, all of these young people because he didn't tweet for them to to huh. go down and I have to say the uh, there was a, actually a pretty funny quote in there, uh, which probably made me think that this is the funniest thing ever, where the police were concerned that the crowd might break the glass in store windows with its shrieking. <laughs> <laughs> you still hear shrieking used enough. And... So I'm going to be sympathy for the devil again. I mean, if this was like a PR exec type and he made this situation happen, he should have complied with any reasonable request for breaking it up. And if they decided tweeting was how to reach these people, come on, how hard is it to tweet? Yeah, no, it's it's just an interesting thing that he didn't use Twitter and got in trouble. <laughs> but uh, but I, I agree, you know. But whatever happened to police with their uh, bullhorns and tear gas? I mean, seriously. <laughs> so do you but, know who I bet is happy with this? Justin Bieber. No, probably not so much. I'm thinking Twitter, because this is huge publicity for them. For nothing. Yeah, half, half the people reading this article are, huh, what's Twitter? Oh, I ought to check this out. Oh, good point. So, yeah, the the real victim in all this is, is Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> he posted a link uh, on Saturday and tweeted, 
Wow, this upsets me. This is all lowercase, by the way. Uh, by the way, wow, this upsets me. The mall should have had proper security. They wouldn't let me in. Got to make this right for the fans. And the four is the number, not the word. Oh, Justin Bieber's so clever <laughs> and dreamy. Oh, he is dreamy. I'm watching him on YouTube right now. Oh, are you? I haven't. I haven't um, seen Justin Bieber. So dreamy, dreamy's not really the word I would use. By the way. Uh oh. I said like, use words like. Adam Lambert. <laughs> okay, I don't know who that is. Me neither. You guys live in a cave. Have you seen so the name Adam of Lambert? Like- Adam Lambert was a very flamboyant contestant on American Idol, and he just did a performance at the GMAs, whatever those are. I can't even keep all the award ceremonies straight. He was at the GMAs, and apparently it was a very raunchy performance where he like kissed another guy and was doing lots of his crotch grabbing kind of act, and so he got booted from his planned performance at the AMAs. That I do know, the American Music Awards. So that was bigger. So, so and that's been, like the Grand Music Awards. Yeah, I don't know, but anyway, what I was trying to do is imply that th- this uh, Justin Bieber's look, if the video I just saw on YouTube is actually him, is less than manly. Well, he doesn't look particularly manly. I, we, Mike and I just looked at a picture of him, and he's like some punk-ass kid. <laughs> he definitely has the punk-ass kid look going. But, you know, we're, we're, we're sorry, Justin Bieber, that your executive was jailed for not tweeting. I'm not sorry. I'd just like to go on record. I, I would like to vote that Justin Bieber wins for lamest news of the week. I, I'll vote for Justin Bieber. Yeah, not the article about him. Just, just that. Justin Bieber himself. <laughs> just, he wins. Yay, Justin Bieber. Your, your award will be in the mail. Three dead fish from Craig. <laughs> Tweaking Geek number 36 is dedicated <laughs> to the memory of Justin Bieber. <laughs> Who died after receiving dead fish. <laughs> exactly. Maybe he ate them. And he got yeah. dead fish poisoning. Yeah. It could happen. I believe it. But anyway, he's dead, and so will our listeners be if we don't end this podcast soon. Yes. Yeah, we're done. So if you want to reach Tweak and Geek, check out www.tweakandgeek.com slash podcast. Call us at 678-999-6321. Email us at tg at tweakandgeek.com or look for us on Twitter or Facebook. Or do we have any other ways to reach us? Look at our Orchid group. <laughs> do, not, do not check us out on Google Wave. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this, this podcast recorded without the use of Wave. Uh, you know, uh, what's a word? Arbitration? No, the other one. Dearbitration. I have all this time I'm willing to give you, Google Wave. Just take it. Just reach out and take it. Craig giveth and Google Wave does not take it away. If you want one like rude jab, if you want to. If you want to make fun of me. For, no, um, no, no, we're not, we're no. not doing it. Uh, don't say I didn't offer. Craig is a pretty awesome guy, all things considered. Craig rocks. Is, there, is that some sort of code? No. Screw you guys. <laughs>